Avast me, hearties! Get ready for some high seas adventures! Actually, this movie doesn't take place on a boat like it does in the original source material. Yeah, it's really more of a tank than a boat. Arr! Fuck! Can I still talk like a sailor? Aye, lad. Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my intrepid co-hosts. It's me, Jack, a Kelpie, passing for a sailor on land. And it's Chelsea, the one who betrays them all. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, oh, even There's us? There's a lot of betrayal in this movie, that's what I'm saying. Oh, it's true. <laughs> like the greatest betrayal, which is... Not wanting to pursue riches, apparently. Exactly. If this movie is to be believed. That's right. The greatest betrayal is not pursuing capitalist... Uh, agendas. Agendas. It's Thank you. just good business. That's... <laughs> Well, before we get too far, we should probably let everyone know that this week we watched Age of the Dragons, Ryan Little's 2011 total sleeper, well, I wouldn't say hit, but I had no idea this movie even existed until just a few weeks ago, and boy, was I knowing immediately that this was one that we had to add to our repertoire since this is a fantasy retelling of Moby Dick. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea this film existed either. I'm not quite sure how anyone did. Really? <laughs> it had a very limited release, but we could talk more about that once we get deeper into the bulk of the mm-hmm. podcast. That's right. We'll get into the meaty bits when we get to the bulk, which is which is kind of what you want to do when you we get to the bulk. We probably need to rename that at some point. If anybody has some good ideas for us, leave some messages in the comments. Well, I'm sure Chelsea has prepared a searing synopsis of this movie, so let's get to it. That's right. Picture this. I'm picturing it. In a world plagued by dragons, one man and his crew... Dare to stand against the tyranny of the great white dragon. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Age of Dragons is a 2011 adaptation of the classic novel Moby Dick. It's Moby Penis, right? (laughs) That's the idea. Okay. Then then this movie makes a lot more sense to me now. So Ahab is chasing penis the entire film? It's a very progressive film. Oh, neat. So it's set in a fantastical Europe, I think, with steampunk <laughs> technology, starring Danny Glover as Ahab and Vinnie Jones as Stubbs. Ah, oh, Stubbs. What a champ. Gotta love him. Wish he had more screen time. Yeah, press F to pay respects. In this film, Ahab and his crew are a band of dragon hunters seeking riches from the procurement of vitriol. 
a fuel produced by dragons that supports economies and promotes technological innovations. Guys, I've got a new business plan, a new a new model for a company. We're going to get out of the podcasting game. We're getting into the dragon vitriol game. Mm-hmm. Nice. I am so down. Nice. I want to travel around hunting dragons. Oh, actually, now I feel kind of bad, though. I don't really want to hunt dragons. They were kind of cute. Yeah, they were adorable women. Yeah, the babies were pretty adorable, not going to lie. Maybe we just give them treats and coax some vitriol out of them. Nice. A sustainable farming endeavor. Yes, I It's like true. It. If you feel negatively about whaling, you should probably feel negative about dragoning. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Maybe this is a theme we should come back to in the rewriting history section. Good idea. For now. Sustainable dragoning. Let's finish the summary. Ahab surprises his crew later in their expedition with the revelation that he is pursuing the great white dragon for revenge, not riches like the rest of them. Does the dragon have a cool name like Moby Dick? It's just the white dragon. The great oh. white dragon. The great white dragon. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least he's great. Yeah, there's that. True to the source material, many of the crew members die in pursuit of this unholy quest. Some through the hazards of their jobs, and some through failed attempts at mutiny. In the yeah, I mean, I feel like for sailors, mutiny is a job hazard. Yeah, I, I can see that. Are you saying it's inevitable? <laughs> Basically, yeah. It's the greatest maritime sin. Yes. Which means it happens on every ship. Yes. In the end, it is only Ahab, his adopted daughter Rachel, and their harpooner Ishmael who is also the film's narrator, who make it to the white dragon's lair. It's here that Rachel learns of Ahab's treachery when she finds evidence that he killed her biological father in a previous expedition to kill the beast. It is for this reason that Rachel and Ishmael do nothing to help Ahab as he is dragged away by the white dragon in the saddest bit of physical comedy in film history. <laughs> Bang, oof. Yeah. <laughs> True to the prophecy, Ishmael is the only one to survive. Oh, wait. Uh, there was Rachel there, too. He was the only man to survive. That was the prophecy. Kind of like how <clears throat> no man can kill the Witch King. I suppose. Although I remember oh, yes. it as only one can survive. Let's see. The prophecy was um, spoken in one of the first scenes of the movie by a character named Elijah, who was... A doomsayer. I and love the prophecy. Went only one will survive to tell the tale. Guys, I think besides uh, the dragon vitriol game, I also want to get into the doomsaying business. No, I think it it can really get you a lot of popularity. It's yeah. not profitable, but it is prestigious. That's true. You know what? That's much more important to me, anyways. It's a big step in the right direction. Alright, now it's time, I think, to get into the bulk of the podcast. This is the part where we talk about the themes, the allegories, the important bits, and the critiques about Age of the Dragon. So I'm, I'm not going to lie, I don't know that I needed the half-cocked romance story between Ishmael and Rachel. I felt like that was very tacked on and basically just like, you know, you've got your list you've got your filmmaking 101 checklist and it's got stuff like you know especially your fantasy filmmaking checklist it's got like prophecy check uh, dragons check 
Unnecessary romance? Come on. We don't need this. We we already had the greatest romance in film history between Frodo and Sam. Like, how can you ever try to top yeah, that? It is hard they to should top. have leaned deeper into that, I feel like. It was a missed opportunity. Wait, in Rachel the and, of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Not Rachel and Ishmael. No, no, no. But let's just, like, let's just get into it. Because this, you bring up a point that uh, I know that Jack and I wanted to bring up. And so, Rachel in the original text was the yes. name of a ship that saves Ishmael at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Which I believe is uh, in as part of the epilogue of the book. Yeah, which we've all read many, many times. <coughs> I actually appreciated that they changed it around and made her an acting character in the story because she's the only real female character besides uh, Ahab's sister who uh, is killed by the white dragon in the backstory. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I am not saying that I want to remove Rachel. If anything, I would have cast the actor who played Rachel in the role of Ishmael and just made her the kind of the main uh relate you know the character that we're that the audience is meant to relate with the most that would have oh. been that would have been much better for me that would have been cool the one that survives yeah exactly cool. a cool way to rewrite history if you ask me it does sound yeah. like a cool way to rewrite history yeah but, I would have I would have liked the version where um where she was kind of our main um prospective character. So, Jack and I were kind of saying that it was a way that they were trying to maybe update the story because it is an adaptation of a piece of literature. And it this isn't completely original and <laughs> never before done. Yeah, but I well, the dragons are there yeah. is that. <laughs> and this movie might have had two or three lines of original dialogue as well. I mean, it is a tale as old as time. It's yeah, true. it was pretty obvious that most of the dialogue was borrowed from the book, which or I or was styled or styled to be reminiscent of the book, right. one or the other. It seemed pretty good. It was a mixture of the two, I think. I, I appreciated the dialogue, and um, you know, I wish I wrote down some of it. To, it's to true. Give us an example right now. I but, did like. Um, Somebody said that to hunt with Ahab, you have to be willing to defy God. That leads to another major theme in the movie, and I really feel like I want to keep teasing out this um, adaptation before we get to that. Um, so let's come back to that idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I like the changes they made. Uh, bringing in a female character using dragons who is one of the main crew members um she's the pilot yeah that's right she's also a badass she kicks the crap out of a bunch of dudes in the beginning she knows how to use a harpoon too so she could have been the harpooner to your point jamie she's attacking the dragons right alongside everyone else yeah she's pretty badass she is not a wilty flower or however you might say it no she's a Um, hard ass another character that we felt got a little bit of a makeover was Quickway, who was uh, basically a traveling companion of Ishmael's and his mentor, so to speak. And based on the coding of how they talked about each other, it was obvious that in the original text, this character was put into the archetype of uh, the noble savage, which was an unfortunate archetype that 
showed up in much of um, literature and film in our history. I don't even know if he was a noble savage in the original. I mean, he was a cannibal. Yeah, but he was portrayed... A noble savage is somebody who is somebody of a different culture other than a European culture who displays an ability to adapt or assimilate well into European society. Right, it's a character who's defined by their ability to act white and therefore, in the perspective of the assumed audience, have value by being different than their actual culture, which is a obviously an extremely problematic... Yeah, I was going to say it's a deeply problematic trope. And um, they, I feel like they tried to handle it as well as they could and, and change the nature of that relationship and the way that he's treated in the film. Uh, he's treated as another member of their group for the most part. Um, in the way that he and Ishmael talk about their relationship, it's clear that He's, he is a protector of Ishmael, but he's also more of a teacher or a mentor to him. And Kwekwe is the one who saved Ishmael's life, not the other way around, which is the way the trope usually goes. Sure. And so um, they seem more like equals. So there's still some problematic aspects of the original trope in there, but it seems like they were trying to change it while yeah, I- still kind of cleaving to the source material. I feel like they they did a uh, commendable effort, but it wasn't quite enough. I mean, they kind of like allude to um, what Queequeg has uh, done and why Ishmael looks up to him, but it, it it's like it's too much show and not enough tell. Or I mean, I guess the other way around. Too um, much tell. Too much tell, not enough show. We don't really see that. Uh, play out in any significant way throughout the film. We just hear Ishmael talking about it, but we don't really get any illustrations of this. It doesn't really play out in the actual text of the film. Well, Queequeg comforts him a lot throughout the film as well, though. There are quite a few scenes where Ishmael is kind of like doubting his situation and himself. He looks to Queequeg to see what they should do. Queequeg doesn't feel very good about almost anything that's happening, which almost always puts Ishmael in a position where he's questioning whether or not Ahab is doing the right thing. He's questioning, you know, because people keep telling him, warning him that he's on a bad ship. And Queequeg is like, yeah, I'll go, yeah, let's go along and do it. But then the whole time he's like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Yeah. He seems to be the moral compass for Ishmael. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a kind of turning the trope on its head as well, which I kind of like that. Yeah, they also mentioned that they traveled the world together already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they've both been foreigners. Yeah. Depending on where they've gone to. That's true. And there is a fight scene where Ishmael uses some, like, martial arts tactics, which he definitely didn't learn in fantasy England, maybe? That could be where they are. Um, Euro-Inglitania. I believe. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I believe is where this movie takes place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they definitely learned that on their travels together, or Kwekwe already knew some of those combat tactics and taught them to Ishmael. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. Yeah. Also, Ishmael is such a good harpooner because he has this, like, spear-throwing instrument, a harpoon thrower. Is there a name for that? There Spear is, right? thrower. Uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. There is, and I can't 
think of I, I keep going back to Adelantal, but I think that that was a different. That uh, might be it. But uh, yeah, Queeque is the one who had this harpoon throwing launcher, which is basically just like a ha- like a haft of wood, and this it was metal with like a little lip on the end, so you get more leverage in your throw when you launch the harpoon. Queeque was the one who had that and who shared it with Ishmael. And that's why Ishmael was so so good at throwing harpoons and was accepted onto the boat because of this technique that Queeque taught him. I just yeah. I just like to point out that a minute ago Jack said pooner. I did. I did. <laughs> he learned everything he knows from Queeque. That's right. So at the beginning of this movie, um we were all kind of anticipating what the ship was going to be, you know, we were like, oh, oh they're, yeah. they're going after dragons. Is it going to be like a sailing ship or an airship? And then we find out that the Pequod in this story is a land tank, I guess. Land boat. It, it kind yeah. of reminded me of like an, uh, of a sand crawler from Tatooine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a lot like that, actually. Yeah. At first, I thought it was kind of funny when I was expecting an airship in a steampunk kind of world. I was like, oh, oh, I was getting so hyped to see them flying around in airships. But, so I was laughing. Yeah, I don't think the budget would have accommodated that. <laughs> no, it was only a $5 million budget. I, I was laughing a little bit at first, but then when we started talking about it, I kind of got into it, and I thought it was really neat. Because it is kind of like a tank. And when you think about it in that respect, it seems pretty cool. Yes. And I don't think that a lot of reviewers online got to that point. It's true. And it's not made out of wood, either. Because you're thinking, why would you be in a boat if you're hunting dragons? They breathe fire. All the dragons in this breathe fire. Yeah. It's made out of iron. Metal. Yes, metal. And it's powered by vitriol, which seems to be just a fuel that is can run more efficiently um and it's a more powerful fuel to be able to uh, it pow- glows you know. blue yeah it's naturally <laughs> it's kind of like steam in the classic film steam boy oh wow it's also kind of like gunpowder because it explodes on contact with the air oh yeah i forgot about that i know the movie though visually looked really good i thought I was overall yeah. pretty impressed with the with the visual quality. Even the CGI wasn't terrible. I, I'm assuming that a good chunk of the budget went into making the Pequod. Because, right. I mean, it's just a bus with like uh, iron and and steel walls and stuff. But it, it was, you know, it was impressive. It was very slow moving, which makes sense. So it's heavy. I think we're kind of hedging around something here. I want this is another thing we all wanted to talk about. How poorly it was received and reviewed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think that was fair, necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's you know... It this was is a not... good movie, you know? I think yeah. people just cringe because it's about dragons. And there have been a lot of not great movies that are like Empire of the Dragon. You know, whatever. Just a bunch of stuff. That was a whatever name. of the I dragon. With it. Whatever of the dragon, people think <laughs> it is going to fail. I I believed that Empire of the Dragon was a movie you had seen, and if we go and find out that it is a movie, I will not be surprised in the least. We'll probably have to review, that. and we'll definitely be reviewing. Yes, it. but anything of the dragon, I feel like it's set up to fail, and people were giving. I saw a lot of two out of tens on this, which we'll mention. 
our feeling about this movie in a similar fashion later on. Sure. But that was that. I think it was undeserving of such a low rating. Yeah. I, it was the land tank and just people not liking the name. I think I couldn't help but wonder if this movie will have a similar trajectory and history as the novel Moby Dick, which was critically a flop at its time. It was panned almost universally by contemporary audiences. It wasn't until William Faulkner praised it that it became what we think of today as a literary classic. I mean, yeah. Faulkner thought that this book should be you know, studied and taught in, in serious academic settings. But before that, it was kind of considered trash fiction. Wow. Yeah, it was. And and it, it got the bulk of those negative reviews in Britain. And um, this movie was released in Britain. So I'm oh, wow. wondering uh, if there's something about the story that just doesn't translate uh, cross-culturally, you know? Maybe the British just don't like this piece of literature. <laughs> they just like Faulkner. We well, need Faulkner to say he likes this movie. All right, can let me, someone make that let, let me consult a necromancer and we'll see if we can get back to that. You know, something interesting is that a lot of the reviews that were written online, like on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, um, around tw in 2011, around when this came out. Contemporary reviews. Right. Contemporaneous to the release. Uh, they were all very negative, and it's probably people in the UK who saw it. But a lot of reviews oh. that are newer ha are more favorable. And one on, um, I'm pretty sure it's on IMDb, gave it a 7 out of 10, and they thought that it was a fine adaptation and that their attempts at creating a world, a steampunk world run on vit dragon vitriol was just entertaining. And that's exactly kind of how you should be taking this. And um, I'm not saying you have to go that high with the review, but any middling review which should signify a good film you know, it is fair. Sure. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, this leads me into the question that I wanted to ask you guys about this movie. Um, since we're talking about quality and whether or not it's conveying its message well, um, and I want to talk about Ahab, and I want to ask you guys if you thought that this movie does a good job of portraying the classic tale of Ahab's madness and obsession and hubris well or if it you know how you guys felt it, it handled those themes well um i think a big theme that kind of came off a little strangely in the film was how everyone kept saying how blasphemous their mission was and people kept saying like oh they're all hellbent they're all gonna die by the end of this so they're sailing straight to hell that's what they're doing just constantly throughout the film we kept hearing this even the sailors themselves were like, oh, we're all doomed. And I was I was wondering why that was. Well, that's a theme adopted right from the, the exactly. book. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was because, and they mention it once or twice, but it's very fleeting. They mention how it's like not right for them to kill these creatures for their own financial gain. I think it was like there was a moral downside to killing these dragons, and they also mention that Ahab wanting to get revenge on the Great White Dragon was blasphemous because it has essentially the intelligence of a wild animal. So, 
getting revenge on something that was just doing what it would naturally do in nature was like a treachery against God who gave the creature this nature. Right. It is a little odd since these people literally kill dragons for a living, regardless, though. They it's seem true. to have a moral dilemma surrounding their primary occupation. I, I think mm. that really what they're trying to communicate is their own fear and hesitation at going after a dragon that is such a legendary killer of oh, yeah. people. I mean, this this thing is terrifying. It's almost that there is like a... <laughs> to bring it back to... Uh, the most important text of our time, Dungeons and Dragons. It's yes, almost like yes. Ahab is hunting like Bahamut or Tiamat, one of the great <laughs> dragon gods. Oh it yeah, is, it kind of is. is. Like yeah, that. yeah. It's almost a leg- like you said, a legendary creature. Yeah. To kill it would be kind of blasphemous. It's true. And we get shots of multiple dragons throughout the film. Some of them kind of have a more like thin caiman-like head. Which is basically like a thin crocodile, but the great white dragon is like a chunky dinosaur-headed one, Almost not like, like a, a T. Yeah, not yeah. Like a I was thinking, kind of like one of those spinosauruses, you oh. know, one of those. But yeah, definitely yeah. big dinosaur. He is chunky. It's true, chunky. And in fact, to show how alpha this thick dragon dick. is. <laughs> <laughs> Thick Dick Dragon. <laughs> to show that Thick Dick was stronger than all the other dragons, yeah. there's a shot where a, assumedly a mother dragon is flying through the sky with a baby, oh, and yeah. uh, Thick Dick swoops <laughs> in from the sky and just bops them both. I, I think oh, given... so sad. He goes after the baby first. That was so sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that they had to show that... Thick Dick, which is obviously the the name of this dragon, following the tradition of Moby Dick. Right. Age of the Thick Dick. Showing that Thick Dick is not, it it might be a monstrous creature, but is not himself um, immune to pettiness or or kind of a animalistic, or not even an animalistic drive, like a, a vengeful drive, not unlike Ahab. It's true, it's true. If this dragon was a person, it would be in the frat house with Hercules, Alpha, Alpha, Alpha. Nice. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Good call, though. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just the level of bulk and strength we're talking here. And also, shout out to the CGI in that scene, because I think that scene was entirely CGI, and it looked very convincing. I yeah. thought it was good. For Which a movie one? on a... F- on a Where they're million... hunting in the sky. Oh yeah, it was pretty good. For a movie on a five million dollar budget, that CGI was totally fine. And then there was like I think a practical uh, dragon guts in the after they yeah. hunted another dragon. That's true. That was pretty cool. So many yeah, guts, of... just goo- gooey and juicy guts. The mixture of practical effects with the CGI really helped uh, give it a certain weight to the world. That was good. It's um, true. But going back to your question. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which I think people have probably forgotten. What <laughs> is Ahab, uh, the character of Ahab translated well into this medium? I think that it does work. Um, I thought that Danny Glover did an amazing job. Like always. And um, he really seems like an embittered old man. <laughs> Years of working with Mel Gibson probably uh, yeah. locked that in. Yeah, he was drawing on that. <laughs> uh, who was hell bent on 
<clears throat> seeking revenge. And also, <laughs> he he admits at the end that he's actually trying to face his fears and atone for his cowardice of his youth when he abandoned his sister and was maimed by the beast. So he's seeking to atone really to himself and the ghost of his sister. Right. So that was an interesting part of the movie. I felt I don't like know how much that tracks with the original text, but I, my guess would be not at all. I don't right. know if we get this flashback backstory in in the text, as but far, oh. it it was interesting to me because it seemed at least to me like we were getting a bit of an unreliable narrator in those moments. It seemed like mm-hmm. his version of the you know what we're seeing in these flashbacks of Ahab is not consistent because I it I feel like the first one they show he seems like he's going in to attack the dragon against all odds, but we later find out and see through flashbacks that he actually ran away. Mm-hmm. That's true. And so his rage, his this uh, this blasphemous war he's waging against Thick Dick mm-hmm. is kind of based on his own shame, mm-hmm. his own failing to to do anything in the moment. I thought that it was a believable story arc in the way they adapted it and the way that Danny Glover played it. I think that he was a a good choice to play the character. And um, Yeah, I thought he did a, just a wonderful job. His raspy voice, he seemed very bitter. He was also, just for the viewers... In his backstory, when he was burned by the Great White Dragon, it left most of his body horribly, like, disfigured. Yeah, oh yeah, he had, like, some, some charred meat going on on the old belly yeah. region. Yeah, and yeah he, he flashes some... the the crew at one point. I, I think that, you know, they, they do a lot to kind of not have to do a lot of scar makeup. I mean, his face has got some... Some basic, you know, like spirit glue scarring and stuff. But, mm. you know, the worst of his scars are... You only really see one time when he kind of shows them off. But Yeah, and he has a cataract eye as well. Right. But, mm. I, yeah, I thought Glover... I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to see anybody else in this role. That was... He was perfect. Yeah. I thought that he was able to convey the high level of emotions really well. Um, that... You know, he had a great look, and he had that, you know, he, he's a tough and grizzled-looking fellow. Mm-hmm. And, and You believe uh, his breakdown at the end, too. Yeah. Yeah. He was the right person for the role. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, plus it's Danny Glover. He's the fucking best. Yeah. It's true. Murtag. Yeah. I'd like to give a shout-out to Rachel again, as well. Because in a lot of the fantasy movies we've seen... The female protagonist is just there to be given to the male protagonist. Right, as a prize. They don't have, like, a personality, exactly. They're just a prize. And, uh, like, we, in rewriting history, have to expand their character a lot more so they're not just, like, an object. Right. Right? But Rachel, she had tons of personality. She was one of the main characters. She was a hard ass. She was out for revenge herself. She right. owed loyalty to Ahab. Oh, yeah, to Ahab. Her adopted father. Yeah, her adopted yeah. father. She had ties. She had like principles and things that she stood for. She had flaws too. Mm-hmm. And one of her flaws was, you know, that like bottle and she would bottle her emotions. She had a lot of rage. Yeah. And that's why I actually felt that 
her relationship with Ishmael, at least in relation to other films, how they handle it, was much more realistic. Like, in Beastmaster, he and the main woman, they should not have any relation to each other. Oh, no. Dar is a fucking monster in that movie. It's true. Ishmael, though, is very open-minded. He traveled the world with Queequeg. He's very soft-spoken. You know, he lets his actions do the speaking for him, generally. And... He listens to Rachel quite a bit, and he tries to help her through some of the emotions that she feels. And typically in films, that's also something that the feminine lead would do. Right. They would be the ones to try to work through the emotions with the main character and be that support. Right. But the male lead is actually the support for the revenge-fueled female lead. And he also defers to her judgment a lot of the time. Yeah. And shows in a lot of different ways that he respects her. I thought it was actually a really good dynamic they had. It's true. The scene where they ended up kissing <laughs> like did feel a little forced. Yeah. But I yeah. do believe that they would have kissed at some point. And that that's something. They seem to have a mutual respect for one another and I did get the sense that they had built that up throughout the film. Yes. So with our very low bar for romantic coupling, <laughs> so chemistry, low. and relationships, this movie gets a pass. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It seems like the limbo bar is on the floor, but they managed to slide underneath. <laughs> they made it. They yeah. somehow they somehow got there. Yeah. Well, we've kind of addressed this uh, to some extent, but I think it's time for our new segment, Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. Ah, yes. This is the part of the podcast where we determine if the villain's motives were evil, stupid, or misunderstood. But this raises an interesting question. Who's our villain? Exactly, yeah. Is it Ahab, the hubristic, I don't know if that's a word, but the hubris-fueled maniac? Is it... (laughs) Thick Dick, the <laughs> animalistic dragon hell-bent on rage. Is it Ishmael, the dumbass lead character? Or is it someone else? Well, there was the one crew member who was also pretty treacherous. Right. That yes. would be Flask. Yes. The right. cook and the extractor. Yes. There are a few villains in this, I feel, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm so ready to talk about... Who I think the villain is. Oh, yeah. Right. Who's the villain? I think it's Ahab, but I think he's... Bold mis- choice. But I yes. think he's misunderstood. Okay. I Ooh. think that he has an understandable backstory for what's driving him. You know, he feels this immense guilt at having abandoned his sister to the dragon when she was calling out to him for help. She saw him there... As he ran away from the dragon. And she saw him abandon her. And that weighs on him immensely. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that is a very believable motivating force that's driving him to commit these terrible acts. And he forces his crew to slaughter animals in vain without extracting their vitriol. Or leaving any to reproduce later. <laughs> Yeah, and, and not he, sustainable. Kills all he the He pushes babies. them forward even as the crew members are dying off. It's true. All in pursuit of trying to reclaim his lost honor that 
he lost fairly early on in life. Mm -hmm. And because of his actions and what he's willing to sacrifice to fulfill his personal quest is what makes him a villain. But I think that his motivations are often misunderstood by others. But admittedly, that's because he doesn't always share them with others. No, I don't think anybody knew. Also, shout out, as a reminder, he killed Rachel's dad when Rachel's dad tried to run away the last time he got close to the Great White Dragon, to Thick Dick. And he also killed Queequeg when Queequeg was basically talking about how blasphemous the situation was at the very end. Uh, yeah, I would say definitely misunderstood by himself and by others. Yeah, he. Di- I don't think he really knows himself very well. Yeah, I'll agree with you guys. You you made some good points. Uh, he's a compelling character, um, much as the original Ahab from uh, the the source material. But he is definitely. Um, I mean, I think he's. Evil and misunderstood. His motives are fairly selfish and very much he's willing to harm and or kill everyone around him to pursue his single-minded task. Uh, That's not exactly the quality of a good or neutral character. I could see him being evil, yes. Yeah. But he's compelling. He's played by a compelling actor. And Let's make it hard. We get, you know, we get these little glimpses of insight into his backstory with his sister and stuff, so we can kind of empathize with his position a little bit, which I think makes a, a fairly well-rounded character. So I think evil and misunderstood works. Right. I think Flask as an evil, uh, as a villain, he was just there briefly. It was described that he was a cold-hearted person the second we saw him. By the narrator. Mm-hmm. And he's racist. He's sexist. He's a sexual assailant. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's not nice in conversation. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think he's evil and stupid. <laughs> yeah. I do fair too. fair yeah, point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he doesn't think, and when he does, it's just, I don't like that. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, he got fucked up. It's more like you're thinking, like, yucky every time you have to see him or hear. Yeah. (laughs) Yucky's a good way to describe Flask. Yeah, he's a stain on the crew, definitely. (laughs) All right, well, I know Chelsea's chomping at the bit, or is she champing at the bit, to review this movie. So let's get to it. This is the part of the podcast where we give this movie a rating in one to ten swords. One sword being the worst movie possible, and ten swords being the greatest fantasy film of all time. So I'll ask you to give your rating after you share the most epic moment from the film. Chelsea, would you like to go first? Right, the most epic moment. (laughs) Well, wait. I think I have to say the most epic moment is when Ahab is getting pulled into the air by the dragon yes. in the movie, and he just gets yeeted against a rock and dies. Bah. And then 
and then he's just doomed to be carried away by the dragon for until he becomes a skeleton pretty much. The most unceremonious death scene, I think, in swords and satire history. It's so dishonorable. I guess it fits with the character pretty well. Um, but just real quick, I want to say that I think that it was a fair adaptation uh, of the source material, well acted, a lot of effort went into this film. There are some ridiculous moments which actually kind of make it fun. I think it deserves a middling review for being just a good movie, you know? It's not great, so I'm going to go with a 6 out of 10 swords. That is a solid review. Yeah. Jack, your epic moment and your rating. Epic moment. Well, an epic feature is that all the costumes looked really great throughout the entire film. Epic feature is fine. Yeah, that epic is... feature. Yeah, that's a, a shout out, really. Uh, hmm. As far as an epic moment goes? No, an epic feature is good enough. I, I'll give a shout out to an epic moment. When they're hunting the first dragon, Ishmael is, you know, he's hesitating to throw. And uh, we see other people throw their harpoons into this dragon, which they have hit with an initial harpoon, which anchored it to the tank so it couldn't get away. And it burns one of our beloved sailors. Poor, poor stub. Poor stub, yes. Sweet, gentle stub. It's true. Storyteller stub. And uh, who likes big breasts and he cannot lie. It's true. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, we mentioned it before. Ishmael takes it down with the, his harpoon. And when they cut the thing open, a lot of other movies would just skip right past that. But they used the practical effects to show all the organs. They actually showed them taking out this like organ from the dead dragon, which assumedly contains the vitriol in it. It was like a sack. Yeah, and they put it in this box. I thought that was so cool that they actually included that. So that's my epic moment. It's a good one. And I'm gonna give it for its coolness, a six sword and a short sword review. Nice. Solid, solid review. My epic moment is gonna be in the opening where uh, Ishmael and Queequeg have just met and signed on with the crew, and they're walking with Rachel, and some douchebag assailants show up to try to rough them up, and Ishmael thinks he's going to impress Rachel with a little bit of fisticuffing, but instead Rachel is basically like, nah, I got this, and then proceeds to beat the crap out of her assailants. Yeah, yeah, nice. I enjoyed that. I thought that was a nice, you know, the nice twist. It, it tells you a little bit about her character and that she's rough and tumble and not going to fuck around. Um, sadly, later on, I feel like they kind of go back on that and they yeah. show her being very meek later on. Granted, in a after a problematic scene where um, sexual violence is used as a, um, as a plot line, which I didn't enjoy, but after that, yeah. like... Rachel suddenly becomes very, like, meek and reserved for the rest of the movie, and yeah, I just, I wish they hadn't done that yeah. later on in the film, but the part where she kicks a bunch of ass in the beginning, I'm way okay with that. I just want to interject real quick, because I know you're doing your thing, but I actually thought that was pretty realistic, speaking from experience. 
Fair. Yeah, being in we, shock after that. We I can don't imagine. have to go deep into that right now. Just I just wanted to say. I mostly wish they hadn't used sexual violence as a plot point in the movie. Right. Yeah. But I will agree with you guys, and I'm going to give this one six swords. It is fun. Uh, I'll say competent, and definitely some bonus points for doing something unique and original. So six swords. That's my rating. That's the final score. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's that's good. I think it's a fair rating all around. Yep. It's time to rewrite. Rewrite history. Rewriting history. This is the segment in the podcast where we take the movie that we just watched and come up with either a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff. So guys, obviously, this would be a much better movie if we kind of combine the Rachel and Ishmael characters, right? But it's a lot more interesting. Yeah, that could be interesting. She was already a crew member. She's a pilot. She knows how to throw a harpoon, and she does a really good job. She's one of the ones that hits it in the chest, but it doesn't die until Ishmael hits it in the chest. Yeah, that was bullshit. Um, I just would have liked the actor who played Rachel to have been cast in the lead role. I think it would have been more interesting. Yeah, like she would have been the narrator. Exactly. She was a survivor at the end, so the prophecy could have been about her. The last man, though, to spread the tale yeah. was Ishmael. I think, uh, yeah, no, it could have been her, too. I don't see why not. Yeah. That seemed like, it was, would, yeah, oh. weird. It was weird, directly translated from the book. What I would like us to explore, then, is how that would change the movie by having her as the main character. Hmm. They wouldn't have had the beginning where they were recruiting Ishmael because she's already part of the crew. Well, I'm saying that she would take on the role of Ishmael. Oh, you're saying... That this actor would would become the lead character. And we would remove the romantic subplot that I don't feel really added anything to the narrative. So she would be the Ishmael character and she would be not the adopted daughter. She would be a new crew member at this point. Right, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I feel like, especially in an hour and a half movie, we don't need... A, a, an hour and a half action fantasy movie, yeah. we don't need a romantic subplot. It doesn't really add anything to the movie. We There's certain scenes that could just be trimmed out. So this would obviously be a reboot with a female lead. Oh, so you're saying it would be her and Queequeg who are traveling companions. Exactly. That would yeah. be super cool. And they're like best buds. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. You get we it. have to explore their completely platonic friendship. Yeah, I like that. Yes. But you guys also had some ideas for... Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, we have another idea, but just real quick, I'd like to see, like, how would it be different to have her as the main character? What would it add to the role? Well, see, that's kind of what I, I like the idea. Is just, it doesn't need to change really anything. It just put, you know, put this, put a female lead into the movie without trying to, like, make it about 
So she could be strong in her own right and a valued member in her own right without having to have this romantic subplot. Exactly. She doesn't need to be defined by her gender any more than Ishmael in the movie we watched had to be defined by being a man other than at the end with this prophecy from um, Isaiah? Oh, I have Mm. a note about his name. Elijah. Elijah, sorry. Um, You know, it's a nice twist on that, on... What is it? Only one man will survive, or whatever. I swear he. I wrote it down right after he said the line. I swear he said only one will live to tell the tale. Yeah, I think I think I think it's only one man. Maybe I at the end I heard one man. At the very end I heard one man. At the beginning I think he said one person. At the end I heard a man though. Okay. We'll have to Maybe. play that back to figure it out later. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see about that. But All uh, right. But, um... So our other idea is a prequel. Yes. Where we were going to have Ishmael and Queequeg traveling the world together. Because it's already been mentioned that they had traveled the world in the past. That seems like a really neat story. I love journeys and traveling stories that's something that's very compelling to me i would love to see a movie about the two of them nice origin story yeah them getting to know each other yeah bonding seeing where queequay saves his life and how they become bonded to each other they're like brothers i would love to see them bond while learning like kung fu in china yeah together and they both have to, like, lift each other up to endure through, right. like, the training. Now, see, even if that just got kind of woven into, like, the movie like we just watched, but replacing the romantic subplot, that would have been a cool, like, again, like, they do yeah. too much telling and not enough showing if with that they plot. they took out, like you're saying, the romantic scenes... They'd probably have at least ten minutes to establish, a, like, a montage of them traveling and... And doing yeah, some things together to establish their relation, their friendship a little bit more. Dude, if the first ten minutes of this film was just like a montage of them country to country, like climbing a mountain in the rain, like carrying like burning pots in like the snow and like yeah. the mountains of Japan and stuff like that. And Ishmael is already the narrator, so he could be narrating... Yeah, I mean, this. maybe maybe a little bit. A little bit. I don't want to do... I, that's, that was Not my the biggest, entire time, but... That was my biggest yeah. issue, was that just we have to just rely on Ishmael saying, we're really good friends, I really, you know, care about Queequeg, and, and he's done so much for me. But we never see any of that, yeah. really. I, it, really? Show, establishing that... I thought there was a pretty good amount of it. We talked earlier about how... Ishmael kind of turns to him for advice whenever something new happens throughout the film. But we don't see the establishment of that relationship. That's true. That is supposed to be so important. And we're supposed to really, like, care when Queequeg, like, doesn't want to go up the mountain and everything at the end of the movie. And it just. Right. It just. They don't earn it, I guess. It would make his death more impactful. Yeah. It's true. Kwikwe as the main character might also be pretty neat because he meditates yeah. by himself and gets visions as well. Oh. If we saw that, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, the visions he gets? That would be really cool. Yeah. I guess what I'm thinking is that they already took a chance making this movie by reframing Moby Dick, 
Why not take more chances and be and make some bolder decisions right. along the way? Maybe right. they cleaved too closely to the source material, and that was part of their problem. And that's why it it came off maybe as disingenuous to the people that saw it. Could mm. be interesting. I want them to keep the dialogue, though. Like, you know, maybe make their own, but keep it sounding the same way. Right. Because that really old-fashioned language was so cool. It, it was, was flowery. Neat. Yeah. Flowery is perfect. No, I, yeah, I yeah. appreciated it as yeah, yeah. a poet well myself. Said. Well said. I thought it was, it was flowery. It reminded me of old English literature. Well, I mean, this is building on the tradition of, like, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet movie that, like, that is the whole aesthetic of the film is that it is anachronistic. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I actually appreciated that part of this film. I did, too. Me, I too. that was neat. You know, people... Are the worst. You, in, <laughs> if you've seen the movie, like, The Witch or yeah. The Lighthouse, yeah. they speak in, the, in like... A manner that is appropriate for the era where those films are set. Right. And they're very hard to understand, but to the people who have seen those films, the language was one of the parts that people were really into, even though it was difficult to right. keep up with. I, that's one of the reasons that I liked the how they used the language in this film. Right. Taking it directly from the book, it immersed me more because... It wasn't in our modern time. It wasn't in any time, really, that what happened on Earth. But I believed that they would be on a boat more this way and hunting, like, something. Right. You know, it put me more in the world yeah. than if they spoke yeah. like they were modern people. Yeah, definitely it did. Yeah. yeah, I actually think that this movie would do better today. Maybe. I can see that, actually. Yeah. I think that the, that the, the audience... Um, anticipations are different than they were, you know, eight years ago. Yeah. I guess now the other possible um, revision, I think, that would probably work pretty well and might be pretty cool would be what we were anticipating at the beginning of this. Put this fucker on an airship. Yep. Yeah. Hunting, dra hunting dragons on an airship just right out of Final Fantasy VI. I mean, yes. I am I am fully immersed right you, now thinking you about it. Already have dragons. You may as well have, and you have technology, anachronistic technology that wasn't available at the time. You may as well put like low level magic in there too. And so maybe they have like a barrier around their uh, the balloon part of their airship that would help them protect it against fire or something. Yeah. You know, you can just do something real simple like that. And you don't have to have magic be a major part of the movie if you don't want to, you know, focus on that. Dude. And then the backstory could have been so good, too, with, like, you know, it like Ahab was on an airship and it wasn't fireproofed. It was kind of like, you know, when they use blimps full of hydrogen. Yeah. <laughs> so that would go over dragon. like a Led Zeppelin. Hell yeah. And then yeah. the dragon just like blew it up and he lost his sister and got caught on fire. Oh shit. Survived the crash but like kind of like 
lamed one of his legs and mussed up his eye and he had all the burns. Yeah. Soul Survivor of an Airship class, Crash is an excellent uh, beginning to a film like this. Yeah. yeah. This this would this movie would have been would be improved. I think we kind of talked ourselves around to a reboot. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I, I, I think that this movie kind of deserves a reboot. I think it, it needs another go. I think that yeah. like I said, it would be received better and I think some of the changes that we're talking about would make it feel very modern, but in a you know a fun anachronistic way. Yeah. Yes. It really deserves a second chance. It this does. idea is, I guess I you know what I think that really the the issue that probably a lot of audiences had is that it didn't commit fully enough, and and it's probably because Maybe. of the relatively low budget. Right. For for this type of movie. For a special effects heavy movie, it would be, you know, obviously require a lot of money to make that happen. But I think that it is a very cool story. And, uh, I mean, isn't this, um, aren't we kind of just uh, writing, uh, like, kind of rewriting, like, Naomi Novak's books? the His Majesty's Dragon stuff? Isn't oh. that kind of like what we're describing here? My Father's Dragon? or His Majesty's is... Dragon. Oh. Neat. That's the first book, anyway. Yeah. Oh, nice. Just the, don't the books in that those? I guess that's like dragons in like the Napoleonic Wars or something. Like yeah. That. So they're oh, actually seafaring ships. Oh, okay. Well then, okay, cool. Then what you're saying is it's time for airships and fighting but the dragons. People do fly on the dragons though in the books. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm just saying, like this. We're, we're... Oh, so you know what we're saying? They need to get Naomi Novak to fucking write the movie. Hold on, don't oh. don't 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 give away our job though. Yeah. <laughs> well, we give the idea, you know. I just yeah. want to put the ideas out there. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's true. Yeah. So you've seen uh, you've seen sea ships hunting dragons. We've now seen land ships hunting dragons. I want to see some A ships hunting dragons. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm into it. This is cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's call up uh, Naomi or <laughs> <laughs> or just you know the studio who's going to give us the money to write it ourselves, which I think is really what we're going for. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that out of the way, I guess it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Can you role play it? This is the part of the podcast where we. <laughs> figure out how this movie would make an RPG setting or adventure. And I think that it's pretty much the perfect uh, framework. I think even even without the airships that I want, going back to the actual text of the movie, uh, you know, a crew of adventurers on a, basically an armored carriage or a land tank, uh, you know, hunting yeah. monsters... Is uh, it's kind of a classic adventure uh, narrative, right? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and call it a mobile fortress. Sure, I yeah. think that that gives it some dignity. Yeah, and, uh, some much deserved dignity. Yeah, I mean it's still shaped like a boat with wheels on the bottom. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. mobile fortress. Uh, yeah, I think this is great for maybe like a one shot or a three shot, maybe just like a short campaign. Like, just a contained storyline. Yeah. Yeah. An adventure arc. Yeah, an adventure arc. That's great. And the world, I think, would be pretty solid. 
you you could just slap more fantasy stuff in there, but like yeah, as you throw an some elves and dwarves. Sure, sure. But uh, as an adventure path, it is so clearly laid out for you. Like, the story beats. Yeah, I mean, it even starts in a tavern, right? Yeah, yeah what does. you want to do is just kind of uh, use the role of Ishmael and uh, expand that to include the entire party so the party is being hired on as crew hands. Um, so that you still have Ahab or a similar character... Uh, character based on Ahab to be your uh, villain. Oh yeah, I mean you got to give the the game master a nice villain to really, or or I guess just a big personality, just chew the fuck out of the scenery. And yeah. it would be pretty neat. I I've never played in a campaign that I can remember where the villain you're actually working for the villain and that you know of. Yeah, and. Uh, they, it just seems like they're hiring you for, like, something kind of basic, like, like, helping them. You're on their crew, or you're, uh... A plot where you don't know that you're directly working for the villain. Yeah, like, you're on their crew. I guess Cora did that. Yeah, you're on their crew, or, uh, your caravan guard, something like that, and it kind of slowly comes out that you're working for the villain. I think that's really neat. Yeah. So Chelsea might not know this, but she actually has played in a campaign that's very much this story, because I ran that campaign, and the person that the crew was working for wasn't, like, an overt villain, but was definitely, like, closer to the amoral, kind of hubristic, and, again, I don't know if that's a word, but... Uh, uh, you know, the captain of a ship who is filled with hubris and kind of manipulating everybody to do things the way that he wants to do them. So I'm glad that the the subtlety worked. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well done, well done. I didn't realize uh, until just now how similar um, this movie kind of was to the campaign I was, I was so running. So you can role play it. It's been done already. It's basically, yes, you can, you can role play it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You sound so convinced. That's yeah. good. That's I'm, I'm living proof that you can role play this. Yeah, yeah. You do. We, we had that campaign in a Spelljammer setting, which you adapted for 5th edition. Somebody could do something similar. Or somebody could pay me to do it. Yeah. That, that would make a go. lot more sense. You could have yes. it set in Eberron if you're doing D&D. Sure, yeah. Eberron would be a good setting. Spelljammer is kind Finder. of the connector yeah. of all the... Um, spell, the Spelljammer setting kind of connects all the D&D settings. But mm-hmm. Eberron's a perfect place to have, like, a land tank. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. It's very steampunk, so mm-hmm. it would fit. There's um, trains and stuff, so I mean, mm-hmm. land tank is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if you're gonna have Ahab as a, as like an NPC, he probably would not be as strong as his character, as like the energy the character gives off. You know what I'm saying? There are NPCs in every campaign I've run mm-hmm. where the party could just slaughter them in an instant, in one attack action. Right? It would be so easy for any single party member to kill an NPC, but they just give off such a scary, like, charismatic aura that the party doesn't mess with them. I mean, he's got to be able to solo a dragon, right? I mean, that's what he'd tell you. 
But I think the dragon soloed him at the end. Well, <laughs> yes. it kind of seems like he sp- um, spins yarns, you know, like yeah. He he tells tall tales to get people to follow him. Tall tales, yeah. <laughs> Why would you spill the beans? Why would you spill the beans? Uh, yeah. I, I I'm probably just gonna be bringing this up every every week until I forget about it. But Monster of the Week. <laughs> oh, the do, Monster do of the tell. Week. The Monster of the Week is a dragon. All right, and they're trying to look for the dragon. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Ahab is the class the wronged, where a monster has killed your loved ones in the past or wronged you in some way. It wow, you, sister. You'd let a player play the Ahab character? That's bold. Oh hell yeah, dude! In my Monster of the Week game, my characters were all insane evil characters, which is not how it is intended to be played. But uh, it worked. It was fun, and we had a crazy evil leader that was like, I yeah, I'd let a player play the Ahab character, no problem. Uh, they would have a lot of power, but, I mean, that's kind of how groups go sometimes. All right. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, the wronged would be in there. I could ev- I could see, like, maybe Kukwe being, like, the divine or, like, the acolyte. Yeah, something like something that. Something like that, yeah, yeah. kind of maybe a paladin or, I'm not sure, but it might not be the best. Not a monk? Maybe. I mean, that's obviously that's D&D. D&D. I mean, that would be perfect for D&D. He's definitely a monk if we're talking D&D. Yeah, yeah. He even is living, like, a fairly aesthetic lifestyle, so. Yeah, yeah. How about Ishmael? I mean, obviously, I guess, Bard, right? He's a, he's a chronicler, oh. a narrator. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's and true. a terrible fighter. <laughs> so is this is this movie just he starts narrating to you, and then the movie is just, like, all you see while he's telling the story? Sure, it's, like, his, ma- it's, it's his masterpiece if you're... Um, playing like a Pathfinder bard with the um, alternate masterpiece uh, uh, option. Cool. Yeah. Well, I was thinking some like enchantment spell while well, where while he's telling his tale you like the whole movie runs through your head. Or an illusion perhaps. I guess yeah. Flask is actually a pretty good basis for like an alchemist or something like that. Yeah. Oh dude. A stupid evil alchemist. That's pretty good. Good time. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, every movie's got one or ten. I think Rachel's probably, you know, a fighter. Nothing nothing wrong with being a good, burly, ass-kicking fighter. She's it's like true. a thrown weapon fighter. Ooh, love it. I could see that. And if we're talking D&D, and Ahab, you did make him playable. Probably a ranger with favorite enemy dragons. Yes. Yeah. 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 He I, does hate them dragons. Yeah. I also like, uh, for a race, for Rachel, I think Shifter would be really cool. Yeah. Ooh. Bestial. Yeah. Which type? Uh, uh, cat or dog Shifter? I was thinking dog. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. Her personality kind of actually fits that pretty yeah. well. Commanding yeah. and, and a little imperious like a dog. Yeah, yeah. Got or, that. or cats more imperious. Cats are more <laughs> typically imperious, but I would think of her as more like something like a wolf. Yeah, she's kind of gruff. Yeah, yeah, she's got a wolfish quality. She's yeah. gruff, she's tough. You know, She's got the stuff. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. 
Nice. I don't know if the other characters are, are flush that enough, so I'm just going to throw uh, Stub and Starbuck into the fighter roles. <laughs> Maybe Starbuck's like a rogue. I don't know. He was kind of like a rogue, yeah. He had a roguish quality to him. I see that, yeah. Stub. Stub will have been another... Vinny Jones is a fighter in real life, so... <laughs> I could see Stubb as, uh, you know, maybe... Dwarf. He had good Definitely performance. Dwarf. Yeah, Dwarf. He had good performance. He was a storyteller in the beginning. Oh, Everyone oh. wanted to hear him tell his story. He was yeah. a fighter with some charisma. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. Mad Mardigan. Yeah, yeah, charismatic he fighters. He like, been a brawler. Yeah, yeah. It looks like Ooh, Pathfinder or Monster of the Week are kind of our two... Uh, uh, RPG selections for this week. Yeah, so brawler yeah. brawler makes good sense. Mm-hmm. But still, got to you know, gonna put some charisma in there just just to have that that storytelling quality. If yeah. you have a different opinion, uh, say it angrily in the comments. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no, no, just say it angrily to yourself. Yes. Okay. Oh, that too. That too. But say it politely in the comments. Yeah, you can say it politely in the comments. Say it lovingly to yourself as well. You deserve it. <laughs> I mean, if you want us to, like, come up with a Gamma World version or a Blue Rose version, you know, just let us know. We'll, yeah, we'll, do some we'll figure that out. Yeah, research. <laughs> All right. Well, that kind of brings us to the end, doesn't it? Yep. Doesn't it? Huh? Yeah, it does. Yes. I think we've gotten all we can out of this thick dick. Yes. <laughs> well, once you're done um, juicing that thick dick um you gotta call it a night well yeah it's it, it's been long and we you know it's been a big load <laughs> you're uh, you're gonna make sure that this uh, episode has the explicit tag right? <laughs> um, they all have the explicit tag yeah. <laughs> we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and ask you if very kindly if uh you enjoyed this to Give us a little rating. It would really help us uh, get a foothold in this wild world of podcasting. Um, Plus, you can like, subscribe, follow us. Smash on, that bell. On Instagram. On Instagram. And <laughs> yes. Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's bells involved. One day there will be a bell. And when they hear this, there it'll be there. <laughs> Or, or you know, if you don't want to do any of that, it's fine. Just, just keep listening. That's all. That's all. That's yeah. fine. We're happy with that. Thank you. But hey, until next week, hail, hail crumb. crumb.